Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with a Slate spoiler special on the movie Zoo. Uh, I'm here with Will Salatan, a Slate editor and uh, author of the Slate Human Nature column. Hi, Will. Hey, Dana. And, um, okay, Will, so I have so much to say about this movie, as I know you do too. Let's start with a quick summary of the movie for those who haven't seen it. I usually start off these spoiler specials with a warning about spoilers and not to listen to the podcast if, you know, you don't want anything from the movie to be given away. In this case, that doesn't really apply because I think anyone who goes into this movie is going to know the basic true story that the movie is based on, which is that of the bizarre story of a 2005 incident in which a man died in Washington State after having sex with a horse. So let's see. What You want to help me summarize the movie and how it tells this story? Well, you know, I went into this movie thinking that it was going to be visually gross. I thought they were going to, you know, show more of what went on, and they didn't really do that, and I'm grateful that they didn't. Um, they sort of, you know, tell the story um, as uh, a, a history of how these guys got together and they really tried to get into uh, how they thought and interacted as people. When you say and these guys, can you can you summarize who who these guys are? Yeah, it's a group of the the in the movie there are I think three voices of the so-called zoophiles themselves, and one woman who is a horse rescuer who also speaks. And one of those guys portrays himself in the movie, and two of them are portrayed by others. But they supplied audio, so you actually hear. Uh, how they thought of themselves in their own voices. Right. I mean, this man who died, whose real name was Kenneth Pinion, who went with these zoophile friends of him only by the pseudonym Mr. Hands, they all used fake names around each other, which points to, you know, how taboo their desire was, even among people who shared it. But these guys who met on the Internet in the early 2000s all started to congregate on this farm in Washington that one of them, none of them owned it, but one of them was the sort of manager, like the horse caretaker, I don't know what you call him, for this for this farm. And they would start to meet there over the weekends and have these sort of celebratory weekends, which it's implied but never clearly stated by the movie would usually culminate in, as one of them said, going and pestering the animals in the, in the barn. And what, to me, the great thing about this movie is that it doesn't try to get into the physical aspect of the sex so much, which is what most people are sort of you know, struck by and afraid of. They get inside the minds of these guys, and that is, to me, much more revealing because you always, you know, read about, you know, what most people would call perversions from the outside. You hear the story about what somebody did to or with somebody else, and you very seldom get in the voice of the person themselves how they thought of it, how they see themselves, how they see that it's somehow okay to do this, how they see that it's a good thing for them. And, you know, whatever you want to come out with in terms of a conclusion, I thought that was the most important part of this movie. I've never seen that before with this particular topic of bestiality. Yeah, I mean, to me, that was by far the most surprising thing about the way the movie decided to handle the question of bestiality, zoophilia. Um, what about the look and the sound of the movie? Do you want to talk a little bit about what it does show? I mean, if it's not showing, you know, people having sex with horses, which is something we only slightly glimpse on a computer screen that other characters in the movie are watching late in the movie. I mean, I would say, wouldn't you say there's maybe 10 seconds of, of anything visible that you could see? So what else are we looking at and hearing throughout the movie? Well, this is a topic I'd rather throw back to you. I mean, I, you're a better observer of those things than I am. I was, I mean, obviously the scenery was, was quite beautiful, and a topic that is generally regarded as very ugly was sort of made more palatable by, you know, seeing the natural beauty. Around. I mean, you could sort of see the mentality of these guys. You know, the horses are beautiful animals, the countryside is beautiful, um, and that setting somehow made it more um, appealing than it might otherwise be. 
Yeah, I mean, you go into this movie, I went in, you know, having heard that it was good and, and wanting to see it, being interested, but sure that I was going to have to brace myself for some kind of, you know, disgusting graphic scene and that the whole thing was going to be about the ugliness of this desire. And instead, the movie almost looks and feels like paradise. There's this kind of dreamy Philip Glass-like score in the background, and there's, you know, constant blue-filtered shots of this beautiful nature around Enumclaw, Washington, where this incident took place, and, you know, shots of sort of fruit hanging on the vine and the fields after sunset. Not even very many horses that, that we see throughout the movie, but lots and lots of sort of oblique, dreamy imagery of this area, and the whole time in the audio you're hearing these guys, these real-life zoophiles, tell their story. So we're talking about this group of guys that used to meet at this farm, and you had some interesting things to say before about parallels with other perversions, if you want to call them that, parallels with other alternate sexualities that are way outside the, the mainstream of what's acceptable to most of us, including pedophilia. I wanted you to talk maybe a little bit more about that, those parallels, if you would. Yeah, well, the movie, again, it gets you into the mindset of these zoophiles, and you hear them talk about how they understand themselves and what they're doing, and they have, you know, moral rationalizations for it. They believe that they're taking care of the animals. They're not neglectful. They're not evil. They use all of the moral words that any normal person would use, and they sort of rationalize that they are good caretakers and that they have a special kind of intimacy with the animals. They understand the animals, for example, in a way that, you know, one of the characters says, one of the zoophiles says, the horse rescuer, this woman, does not really understand animals the same way. It sounds very much the way that pedophiles talk about their relationships with children, that they really understand them, that they take good care of them. It's not just a sexual relationship. And it has all of the same hypocrisy because, you know, you know one of my favorite scenes in this movie is when the guys get together, the zoophiles, you know, get together at this farm out in Washington State, and one of the characters is talking about how it was a classless society, except you have the sort of bizarre disjunction of these guys, these men, sitting together at the farm, blending drinks and having their party, and then announcing that they're going to go out and, as one of them puts it, pester the animals, which are segregated out in a stable. So it's like a bunch of frat guys going out and thinking of treating women as an other and, and yeah, almost as if they're going to a strip club or something. Is exactly, exactly, you know, and all the time with this illusion of equality because there is a bond between the men. In a funny way, these guys think that they're breaking some kind of new ground, but it is the oldest story in history. It is male bonding through sexual exploitation of what they regard as inferiors. Right, and do you think that the, the filmmaker himself, Robinson DeVore, who goes to such extreme lengths to try to, you know, be, I don't know if you'd say tolerant, but certainly to listen to these guys' points of view and not judge them, do you think he's giving them too much of a pass on this, on their sort of argument that, you know, they're experiencing the wildness and innocence of nature rather than just going out and exploiting less powerful beings? Well, I'm sure that uh, Robinson DeVore uh, did what he thought was the, his role to play, which was, you know, there's no shortage of people out there who think that zoophiles are sick, crazy, bad people. So he didn't really need to say that. His job was to sort of get inside the minds of these fellows so that we could understand them as more than cardboard characters. And I think he did that very well. I don't begrudge him that he didn't play that role. That's the role that, you know, people like you and I have the luxury of coming along with after we see the movie and, and we can comment about it. And I hope that because of the movie, we're able to do it in a more thoughtful way than, you know, say Rush Limbaugh, who appears by audio in the movie. You know, it's not just a reflexive condemnation of bestiality, but really, if something is wrong with this practice, what exactly is wrong with it? Right. Well, that's a good good question to, to move on to right now. I mean, what is the argument against bestiality? 
if you well, if you're able to say, as in fact of all people, Rush Limbaugh says in this in this audio clip in the movie, if you're able to say, well, these horses appear to be consenting in these video clips. I mean, Manola Dargis's review in the Times today, she didn't like the movie as much as as I did, or I think as you did, but. She makes the very good point that animals on commercial farms are subjected every day to far more egregious abuse than the horses in these videos. Yeah, and actually the movie brilliantly captures the hypocrisy of those of us who look at this and say, how dare these men use these animals in this way? You know, when, as many people have pointed out, and you've pointed out, you know, we kill them and eat them. We use their labor without their consent. We buy and sell them. I mean, you know, we clearly treat animals as objects to be used. We don't treat them the way, theoretically, we believe we should treat people. So there's a hypocrisy about that. The men themselves, the zoophiles themselves, have this hypocrisy. You know, they talk about the animals as though they're intelligent beings and partners, and then they talk about, you know, getting together and eating turkey and ham. So there's a kind of funny way in which we're still beasts, and we're still preying on other beasts at the same time as we look at these guys and say, how dare they prey upon these animals? Yeah, that's something I, I really respect about the movie, actually, in terms of, you know, just as an essay. I mean, if you want to think of it as a sort of philosophical essay about animals which I, and our relationship to animals, which I think it is as much as an exploration of this bizarre human interest story that happened in 2005. Um, it just seems that it's very ambivalent at leaving open the question, what is our relationship to animals and what are rights for an animal? Yeah. You know, the one scene that really haunts me from the end of this movie, and you, you mentioned it in your piece, was... At the end, I think this is the longest that the camera sits in one place in the movie. They are gelding the horse. Um, the horse rescuers, you know, society has come in at the end after this man has died. And there is mass condemnation of these horse abusers, as, as they're described. And so the solution to this is that the, the guys themselves cannot be criminally punished because it wasn't against the law at the time they did this. So the solution is to geld the horse. They lay the horse out on the table. They don't show you all of it, but here they are, you know. It, it is the most graphic scene, though. It's a real horse gelding that we see. Obviously not of that horse because that already happened in 2005, but they must have found a stallion that needed to be gelded in the modern, you know, current day and just filmed the whole thing. It's pretty graphic. Right. And here we have, you know, the sexual mutilation of this creature, and it is not done by the so-called perverts. It is done by those of us who believe that somehow we are above those perverts and, and we are somehow protecting the horse, when in fact, I would argue that that practice, as the movie illustrates, is every bit as vile as anything that those men did to those horses. It's a very queasy scene because, you know, we've just sort of established, if we're going to put ourselves on the side of the horse rescuers, that, you know, this horse needs to be rescued from exploitation and sort of having its sexuality controlled by men. And the next thing we, we know, the horse is, in essence, being castrated. I mean, maybe the closest that the movie comes to answering the question what constitutes sexual freedom for an animal is to be left alone, you know? I mean, if only both the gelders and the, the uh, you know, horse buckers had managed to leave the stallion alone, maybe that would be the most freedom that he could expect. Well, I think that would be a great service if this movie is able to provide it, that we come out of the movie not only judging the, uh, the zoophiles, but rethinking ourselves and the way that we treat animals. Well, Will, I want to thank you for um, doing this spoiler special with me on the movie Zoo, and would you recommend the movie to, to listeners? <laughs> I have two little kids. I would recommend that you see the movie and leave your children home. <laughs> That's absolutely, yeah, it's, it's a not rated movie, actually. So, yeah, in case anybody's wondering whether to bring the kids, not unless you want to put them through some serious trauma. Um, all right, so, Will, thanks a lot for joining me. Thanks, Dana. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.